See, you weren't paying attention, were you? See, you fell asleep. You know what? I wish this was on video tonight. I wish y'all could have seen. Some of y'all hopped 10 feet off the pew. I mean, it was amazing. Wow. Your arthritis has been cured, I see. That's great. Good news. All right, let me get back to the announcements tonight, and I'll try to tone it down again. Uh, I forgot what I was saying, but I'll go back to the previous announcements. And that probably was a signal you may want to do this, memorial and honorariums, uh, but this is to contribute uh, to one of our ministries, and the forms are available in the foyer. And as I said before, rudely interrupted, it's to be turned in on the 14th. Also, you know, the uh, parade here in Boonville was postponed till this coming Tuesday night, uh, the 13th at 5 o'clock, and we're going to provide homemade cookies, and those still are needed. If you could see Tommy Barragona about that, uh, make sure you bring those. Also, hot chocolate's going to be served. That would be very, very helpful. Uh, keep in mind, just for the future, December the 25th is falling on Sunday this year, and our services are moved to 1030 instead of 930. Of course, we will not have an evening service. The Freed Hardeman Associates are invited to their Christmas party this coming Saturday, December the 10th at 1 o'clock. It'll be the home, at the home of Jim and Janita Estes. Now, I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight for our devotional tonight. Uh, Turner Foster is going to be leading our singing, and Brother J.T. Beard will dismiss us in prayer. Good evening. Invitation song tonight will be number 800, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, 800. Song before the lesson will be 611, Heavenly Sunlight, number 611. Our nation is a special day of remembrance 
Today marks the 81st anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Imperial Empire of Japan on December the 7th, 1942. It was a very tragic event. Many Americans lost their lives. Our, our naval fleet was almost wiped out for the most part. There was thought that maybe our West Coast mainland would possibly be invaded. Some of you were alive back then, and at some point I would like to spend some time talking with you uh, about how you felt uh, when you heard the news about that great event. And certainly it's important for us to remember dates and anniversaries like that. It reminds us of the freedoms that we have, those that paid the ultimate price for the freedoms we enjoy today. I'm afraid there's a younger generation growing up that will not remember things such as that unless we as parents and grandparents uh, teach our children and grandchildren about our history and the importance of freedom. But you know, spiritually speaking, just like the Pearl Harbor National Memorial helps us to reflect and remember on that occasion, there's some things that that we need to remember. Certainly we always need to remember the love of God. We need to remember what he did in sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And just like memorials that are here and there to remind us of certain events every first day of the week, we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a memorial to remind us of the body of our Lord that was given, the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, it's important for us as Christians to remember because once we as Christians begin to forget or to neglect things like that, before long we can be characterized as what was said back in the days of Joshua and the judges that there arose a nation who knew not Joshua. They didn't know God's will. And so may it be that we always put a conscious effort, not only in regard to our own history in this country, but spiritually. We need to reflect. We need to continually remember and to be thankful for what our God has done for our salvation today. Tonight you may be here and maybe you're not a Christian Maybe you just haven't done what God requires as of yet to become a child of his. And tonight, if you're willing to demonstrate your faith in Jesus Christ and change your life in repentance, you can be baptized into Christ, immersed in water. All your past sins will wash away, and you can leave this building a New Testament Christian. Or maybe you've neglected uh, your Christian life as a child of God. Maybe there are things that you need to change and correct, and you may need to come tonight and ask for the prayers of the church. Tonight, we, we give you this opportunity. If you do need to respond, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
be seated.
Hope you've had a, a terrific day today. I have this list of sick people that we are going to be praying about here in just a few minutes. Irene Baker, Melinda Hester's mother, has terminal cancer, and we pray for her comfort. Martha Eaton's recovering from her foot surgery and seems to be doing very well. Austin Wentz, who's John Wilda's grandson, he's, he is taking treatments every day, and he's getting like 100 and some treatments. So I, I love this. Sue Potts is making a suggestion for us that we could cheer him up over the Christmas holiday by sending him a Christmas card. That'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? If only we had the address. Well, there it is. Yay! So if you would jot down the address real quick as we're going through some more, uh, that, that'd be terrific. And I'm sure that would really be a, a cheer up for Austin and, you know, his family. Ann Stevens isn't well. Don Dawson isn't well. Wade Davis hasn't been found yet. Carolyn Wilcutt is recovering at home. Bobby Petty, who is Joe Garrett's friend, has lung cancer. Doug Smith's dad, Kelby Smith, is not well. He has Parkinson's, and that makes him susceptible to a lot of different things that come along. Cody McGee is recovering from foot surgery and is making some good progress. Vanessa Williams has leukemia. She's a member at Snowdown. Eric Fitzsimmons is undergoing tests to determine what to do for his blockages. Chopper Taylor still suffering from uh, both his legs are, are practically unbearable. Larry Kennedy has a mass in his shoulder. He's undergoing tests. Cassie Stewart broke her elbow. She's gotten out of the cast, but still enduring a lot of pain. Danny Ramdahl is one of our missionaries. He has kidney failure. Cheryl Hoffman has um, very serious back pain. Linda Beard is still recovering. She has really good days and some bad days. So we're hoping her good days become more prominent than the bad days. Van Roberts has pancreatic cancer. Paul Rollison has brain cancer. Reed Sparks lost both his legs. Lex Crossan has several health issues. Juanel Thompson's recovering at home. Pat Cooper is undergoing tests. Dorothy Hester, she's doing a lot better. She still has some, some bruising and swelling on her face from her fall. Uh, Joan and Martha's sister, Norma, has been having some health issues of late. Tony Presley has leukemia. I told you about John Brooms, uh, Brooms passing away. Let's remember Abby and their little son, and then she's expecting a child. Um, anybody have an update about Landon? He was mentioned several weeks ago, and After that, after I'm taking him off the ventilator, uh, I know he has some brain swelling and s stuff like that. Okay, thanks, Chastity. So he's still 
got some serious problems ahead. Uh, Nicole Estes was suffering with kidney stones. She passed her kidney stone on Monday, so we're really thankful for that. Uh, Manny uh, Jones' son, Kirby Carpenter, was found dead. He was shot to death in his yard. So, you know, pray for this family that's grieving and uh, that justice will be served. Marty Woodruff has cancer. Uh, Graham Vaughn, who is Karen Vaughn's son, many of you know of the Vaughns, um, he's in the hospital at Magnolia. Most likely his circumstances are related to becoming severely dehydrated. Uh, his kidneys shut down during that period and they're trying to build him back up. He's, he's having a rough time though and a part of that is Magnolia Hospital, and, and it might be true of a lot of hospitals around here, but Magnolia is completely full. It's full of people that have the flu primarily. So Graham has been treated in an ER room for the last three days. And if you've ever been in one of those, you know how uncomfortable that can be. And his mother's been right there with him this whole time. So just remember the Vaughns. Uh, Jackie Conley, many of you may know or you may have known his wife who was a hairdresser here. Uh, he's at the medical center in Jackson. And Julius Lee's not feeling well tonight. That's kind of rare. She just seems to be well all the time. But she's getting better, but just doesn't feel well enough to be here tonight. So we want to remember her in our prayer. Um, you have any? Yes. Oh, no. Else? I was just going to tell you about my Aunt Pat. Yes. They did get some of her tests back, and the lesions they saw on her pancreas, they believe that they may be cysts. Okay. So they're going to go look at them in two months. And they did an EGD on her, and the reason that she's been not able to eat and staying so nauseated and losing weight is because she had two huge ulcers in her stomach and the lining of her stomach was infected. And so they've got her on medication and she is beginning to feel better. Okay. Well, that's a relief, isn't it? Yes. So, sorry that she has that, but certainly the, the less of some other more serious things. So thank you for that update, Martha. Okay, let's have our prayer and after that we'll start our Bible study. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings today. And you sure have, you sure have given us an abundance of rain and just kind of looks like from the predictions of our meteorologists that it's going to keep raining. And we're just really grateful for that. It's been dry for a long time. And for those that especially needed it, I know they're grateful and, and praising you for that. And we rejoice in it. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer on so many occasions of those who've been sick and recovered. And we're just, we're in awe of you and so dependent. And the more 
The more you help us, the more dependent we become. We just, we run to you because we trust you. And we're before you now, Lord, with a petition for all these people that we love or are friends of people that we love and many connected with this congregation here. And a lot of them have asked us to be praying on their behalf. And Lord, we're, we're asking that you will act to bring comfort or even healing in many of these cases. We pray for Irene Baker's comfort and that she'll have good days with her family. We pray for Martha Eaton's recovery and rejoice that she's come this far. We pray for Austin Wentz as he undergoes just a long-term series of treatments. We pray for Ann Stevens and Don Dawson who are not well, chronically so. We pray for the Davis family and Wade's having been missing for so very long. We pray for Sue's comfort and their children, just the whole family who just deals with a big question mark all the time. We pray for Carolyn Wilcott and her recovery, that it'll be complete. Bless Bobby Petty and his battle with cancer. Pray your blessings on Kelby Smith, that he'll have good days. Bless Cody McGee and his recovery, that he can return uh, to walking freely and back to work. We pray for Vanessa Williams in her battle with leukemia. Bless Eric Fitzsimmons that he'll get the treatment he needs to overcome the blockages that have been found. And we just really ask, Lord, that you would give relief to Chopper who's suffering so much. Bless Larry Kennedy that treatment will be found for the problem was discovered with him. We pray for Cassie Stewart as she just manages pain every day, and we, we pray that she's winning that battle. We ask your blessings on Danny Ramdahl as he has kidney failure. Please be with Cheryl Hoffman that she'll get the relief she is hoping for. We pray for Linda Beard that she'll have a full recovery, and we're really thankful she's been back with us of late. We ask for your blessings on Van Roberts, who has pancreatic cancer, for Paul Rollison, who has brain cancer, for Reed Sparks, who has lost both his legs. We ask your blessings on Lex Crossan, who has several health issues. We pray for Wynell that she can be back with us real soon. Bless Pat Cooper that she'll get the treatment she needs for these ulcers, but Lord, we, we also, as bad as that can be, are still rejoicing that her condition wasn't as serious as it could be or even was thought to be, and we pray that she'll have a full recovery. Pray for Dorothy Hester that she'll do well in her recovery and be back soon. Bless Norma that her health will normalize and she'll feel better. Pray for Tony Presley who has leukemia. Ask your blessings on the Brom family and John's death and especially bless Abby and their little children. We pray for Landon, who's been sick for a couple of weeks. We pray that his treatment's going to result in healing. We're rejoicing tonight that Nicole has relief from the kidney stone that many, many of our members have suffered through. And we just pray that uh, this will be a thing of the past for her. Pray for Maddie Jane Jones and her comfort in the senseless death of her son, and we pray that the culprits will be found and justice will be served. 
Bless Marty Woodruff, who's battling cancer. Bless Graham Vaughn, that he will respond to his treatments and his health will return to him and be with both him and his mother as they're just very uncomfortable in the room they're in. Pray that maybe something can be freed up to alleviate some of that strain. We pray for Jackie Conley, who's in Jackson in the medical center. We pray that he'll do well with his treatment. Bless Julius Lee, that she can feel better soon. Bless Luke Jones, that he will be able to overcome the flu soon. And we pray for the rest of the Joneses that this will not be spread around uh, abundantly in their family. And we pray for Sue Mason, whose health is already tentative, but she's not feeling well tonight. We just pray that you'll bless her with a quick healing so that she can be back here very soon, just like she would want to be. We ask, Lord, that you'll bless us tonight as we're studying together and help us to, help us to be able to see the distinctiveness of your church and to rejoice in that and just to know that what you have designed is for our good, for our spiritual benefit, and help us, help us to be positive and encouraging and loving toward members one to another. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we're going to talk some about what's distinctive related to the worship that we find the church doing in the New Testament scriptures. Um, it is unique, and given what you find in the scriptures compared to what a lot of religious organizations who claim to be the church are doing today, it's quite a, quite a difference in what you find. So to me, it's one of the great distinctive things related to the church. Um, one thing about the church that's, I think, pretty unique was the frequency of their meeting. Now, in some places you'll find the church, especially in its infancy and in its beginning, uh, they were meeting every day, having fellowship with one another, going from house to house. But ultimately, for the long term, you find an emphasis that's being placed on the church meeting on the first day of the week. Now, which of the weeks that you have during a year actually have a first day in them? <laughs> That's not a trick question. Every week has a first day in it, yes? So how many of those first days would you be meeting on? 52 of them, every single one of them, right? In Acts chapter 20, we have a fine reader. Uh, I don't know if he likes me calling him Hollywood or not, but... I think it's really catching on. If I keep saying it, certainly it will. But um, I have a couple of verses for you to read for us. And you guys be paying close attention to this, okay? One of them is Acts chapter 20, verse 7. The other one is 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. Okay? You'd read those for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want me to say something about that? You, if you were in the class on Sunday, you remember that he read for us from Judges chapter 5 and verse 2, and he read it, and I said, what translation is that? And he said, it's the New King James translation. And I thought, well, now, that's the translation I use, but it doesn't sound right. But I was like, okay, peace, hey, you know what you're doing. And then he read the text, and then, of course, 
made the application that I wanted to and moved on. You know, he discovered that actually that's not what happened. He was reading from a different translation. But instead of just letting that pass and me being in the dark and all that, he actually called me and said, Hey, Ken, turns out it was a different translation. And you know what I said? I just can't believe... No. I said, hey, man, that's cool. That's fine. Because, you know, it worked out just fine. But I, just, I appreciate the honesty. So that's how, that's how Hollywood rolls. That's how he rolls. Okay, if you'll read this text, hopefully we will recognize it. <laughs> now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, does that sound like this was something regular and intentional? Okay, I mean, that, that's not a trick question either. Uh, obviously, yes. It sounds like they were in the practice of doing that. Okay, just the only thing I wanted to establish. And then the other text. You usually read this text to talk about giving. But there's another aspect about that that I want you to notice, and it's in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. What does that say? On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Okay, so Paul wanted to avoid maybe um, embarrassment on his part. When he shows up, they're not going to have what he's expecting. So he says, well, here, here's what you do. Take up the collections on every first day of the week. And then, you know what? Whenever it is that I show up, I'll know that when I actually show up on the first day, what will happen? The, the collection will be there. I mean, uh, let's meet up. You say, when are we going to meet up? <laughs> you know, uh, maybe, maybe we don't specify. Then will we hit it? Will we get together? If I don't specify, when? No, I'm talking generally speaking. If I say to you, uh, hey, let's go to lunch this week, and then you end it there. Well, when are we going to do it? I know I'm going to do it at lunch, but which day? We didn't specify. So how many attempts are you going to have to make? You might only have to make one, but <laughs> you potentially will have to make seven. Isn't it better to be very specific and say exactly what you mean? Okay, it was very specific as well, yes. So specificity is the thing. Yeah, you could meet a lot of different times, but Paul says when you take up your collection, make sure it's when. It's on the first day of the week. Now, let, let's, just, let's just reason together. Why would he pick that day? Remember Acts chapter 20, verse 7, what we just pointed out about that. They were already in the habit of doing that, Right? And I mentioned, well, the text emphasizes that it was on every first day of the week. And I asked you how many weeks you know of that have a first day. So that would then tell you that these things were happening uh, when along the year? When were these, uh, for instance, were they just collecting, say, every once in a while? No, they were collecting every first day of the week. Um, in the Acts chapter 20, verse 7, they were breaking bread. How often was that happening? 
Well, this, th they may eat food every day, but this particular gathering of breaking bread, we would connect with what act? The Lord's Supper, the communion. And it's very specific. Okay, so uh, interesting question, just kind of throwing this out there. You know of many churches out there, the same directive is given with regard to those two things, both the communion and the giving. How many churches do you know of that take up a collection every first day of the week? Most of them. <laughs> almost, almost every one, right? We got a budget and we got to meet our budget. Okay, great. That would be biblical, yes? Absolutely. How many of them you know that actually partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? <laughs> very, very few. I know this one does. But very few, actually, many will relegate it to special occasions. Like they're going to have a special love feast coming up for Christmas. Or they might do it at Easter, special occasions. Or there might be some, we're having a 50-year anniversary, and they might come and have communion with us, right, on Friday or something like that. And I'm scratching my head, like, wait a minute, that's not the biblical directive. The biblical directive is very specific not just on the first day of the week, but it's specific that it's every first day of the week. I, I think that's pretty simple, but somehow or other people have gotten off track with regard to that. And, and I also want to point out something here, and we're going we're gonna to touch this verse quite often. It's Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And I'll write that down for you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So we're in Acts, I'm going to talk about how that these meetings were, were pretty informal. So Acts chapter 2 deals with what happening. Remember the Holy Spirit comes in the beginning and empowers the apostles on the day of Pentecost. They get up and preach and then before you know it, bing, bang, boom, what happens? A lot of people obey the gospel and what does the Lord do with them? He adds them to the church, right? There are three, we find out that there are 3,000 people on that day that obey the gospel. So when those people obey the gospel, the Lord adds them to the church. And then we get a picture of what's going on with them. Okay, sorry, you don't have to read that one now. Uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. They're getting on with... Many acts that we can relate to, right? Because what they were doing in that first century setting is something that we are doing. Now, let me ask you this question. Why, why would we do that? Why would we try to replicate what we find happening, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, right here, verse 42? Why would we want to replicate that? Well, it is an example of apparently what the apostles were teaching those early Christians to do. Yes? So as they're gathering together, they're participating in acts. Not just what they wanted to do, but acts that they were instructed to do by means of the teaching of the apostles. In fact, that's why they're there. Okay, so what were some of these things? One of them was the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to revisit this. And it, actually, you can put your... Well, you don't have your finger, right? You have your, your computer. Okay. So, uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. 
Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. And then also, if some of you are looking ahead, we're going to look at some other texts. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11 and verses 23 to 28. That ought to get us started. Okay, read this text for us. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Okay, so Paul knows if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit these folks. Now, actually, if you read this context, Paul actually basically waits a week. Why wait a week if they're meeting day to day, house to house? Because apparently they weren't, not in this location. So if they weren't, one thing he could know for sure is, if I hang around all week, what? When the first day of the week comes, because every single week has one, when that first day of the week comes, then I will be able to meet with the church. Now, what we're going to find out is he takes full advantage of that and actually stays until midnight. I mean, boy, what a preacher he was. In fact, he preaches so long that Eutychus falls out the window and is dead. Has to raise him from the dead. I mean, unfortunately, if I preach too long, you go to sleep, fall out of the pew and die. I can't do anything about it. So don't do that. Yes? Right, Ken, we won't. Okay. Um, now, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29, is Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Jesus is telling us exactly what he wants done. Uh, read that text for us. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to, to, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, Jesus says, do this. I'm going to give you... Uh, the example of it, and, and you're participating in it with me. This is part of the period. It's not going to be long before he dies. I'm going to go away. But remember this. He says, I'm going to be drinking it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, what's the kingdom? It's the church. So Jesus says, I'm going to be partaking of this with you when what happens? When the church is established, when was the church established? The day of Pentecost, where was Jesus? He is ascended to the Father, yes. Okay, so what, what we are getting a glimpse of is there's going to be something more to it than just the physical partaking of these things. There is going to be what we're going to find here in a moment from 1 Corinthians 10, 16, a communion fellowship that's going to take place. But before we get to that, I'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're looking at verses 23 to 28. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same matter, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, just something I want us to notice about. This is kind of a full circle kind of thing. Paul says, let me remind you that this partaking of the fruit of the vine and this partaking of the bread is actually something that who talked about? Jesus did. And he reminds them basically of what we read there in Matthew chapter 26. But notice what he says here. He said in, with, with regard to both of those emblems, he says, as often as you eat the bread, as often as you drink the cup. Stop right there. How often? He doesn't specify. How often? Well, he, th this happens to be 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which in the broader con context, this is the same book, right? So we're just carrying the argument a little bit further. When we get to chapter 16, he starts talking about the collection for the saints. But he makes this point. The question is, how often? But he says, well, the oftenness is that when you gather, when? On the first day of the week. As often as you're gathering, question, when do we gather? Well, sometimes, it, you know, the scripture sometimes says that they, they gathered every day, that they were meeting and going from house to house. Yeah, they do. But continuing throughout history, you know, all the way to the end, what is one day that was always consistent? It was the first day of the week. Question, when do you partake of the Lord's Supper? On the first day of the week. Paul could know in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, hey, not only am I going to meet up with the church then, I'll know where they're going to be, but I'm going to partake of the Lord's Supper with them on that day because that's when we take it. And I'll wait all week to see that that happens. Huh? And, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm also going to preach to them. Yes? The Passover was a Saturday, the Sabbath. Yes. Yes, he did. With a view toward when was Jesus resurrected from the dead? On the, on the first day of the week. Is there a significance to the first day of the week? What day was Pentecost, the day the church was established, first day of the week? When was it that the church met regularly? First day of the week. And it wasn't to commemorate the Passover. It was to commemorate Jesus' death, right? Now, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, we take this Lord's Supper. You know, you can think about his birth or his life. Or Wait, stop. That's not what it's commemorating. It's commemorating his death. That's what the symbols are about, right? The bread represents the body. And the cup, the, the grape juice, represents his his blood. Well, where was, where was that pertinent to the story? In his death. We're remembering the death of Jesus Christ when we partake of that. We're remembering the very sacrifice of the Lamb of God on the, on the first day of the week. And then what does 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and verse 16 say? The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. 
The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. Okay, the communion. Question, what is communion? And I'm not talking about, well, don't describe that. Generally speaking, what does it mean when you're communing? You're coming together. You're together. Okay, now watch this. Who, when you and I were partaking of these things together and we're praying about it, are we communing? Not your head this way. Yeah, we certainly are because we're all together as one body partaking of what body? The body of Jesus. We all as one blood are partaking of what? The one blood of Jesus Christ. But also, Jesus says, I will also partake of these things new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm going to be in communion as well. Well, where is Jesus in all of this? Isn't he in the body and in the blood? Yes, so when we are communing together as the body, who are we also communing with? We are also, it is both horizontal and it is vertical, okay? Now here's something, we're, gonna, we're, we're in the middle of talking about all these acts of worship and here's something that happens. Like somebody's a really good song leader, we just, wow, we talk about how great a song leader they are or... We have a great preacher. We say, oh boy, this is just the best preacher I ever heard in my life. Blah, blah, blah. Somebody gets up and says a prayer. We say, boy, I hope so-and-so leads the prayer because they just, oh, they lead the best prayer. Or someone's wealthy in the congregation and we see, you know, we, we pretty well know what everybody does and all of a sudden the contribution is skyrocketing. We're like, wow, so-and-so must have. Wow, what a great giver they are. How many times have you ever heard anybody say, you know, Brother Luther there, he is the best Lord's Supper taker I've ever seen in my life. You ever seen him, how he reaches down, gets that crazy, just, just takes it just right. And then when he partakes of that, oh, the way he holds that cup, and peels that little cover off of there, it's masterful. And then he just, he just tilts his head just right. And wow, he is like the best Lord's Supper taker I've ever seen. I know people have been watching you, you know. Hey, we don't do that, do we? Why, why don't we do that? Well, we really shouldn't be doing the others either. If truth is being presented and we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, those kinds of things are petty. But I especially, I, this particular point right here, I think is pretty significant because it isn't about our action in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's about remembering what Jesus did. Now, we should be doing that in all these acts, really, putting the Lord first and glorifying Him. But how about if we just started right there? You know, who's the superstar there at the foot of the cross? You? It's not me. It reminds me that Jesus died because I am a... Yeah, and no parades for that. Yeah. 
I do too. And, and one of the aspects of this partaking of the Lord's Supper, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is examination, right? How well are you examining yourself if we're rushing through this thing, right? Just a, quest, big, a big question. Let's put a big question mark. That's a big question mark, right? We, we, need, to be, we need to be really focusing in on, on what it is that we're doing. And, I mean, we're remembering the death of Jesus. Okay, another aspect of worship in the first century was singing. Let's look at some text. One would be Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verse 19. And since you're there, we'll probably just go ahead and back up to verse 18 uh, and include that because I think there's something pretty significant there. And we're going to follow that up with Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And then I wanted to show you something in Matthew chapter 26. This takes us back to the Lord instituting the Lord's Supper. But what happened, at, what happened afterward? Pretty significant there. Okay? Uh, Ephesians 5, just do verses 18 and 19. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, stop right there. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Another word for dissipation is excess. You get drunk with wine when you drink too much of it. Okay, does that make sense? That's the illustration he's going to use. You drink too much wine, you get drunk. He says, don't do that, but do this instead. Be filled with the Spirit. Effectively, in this illustration, what he is saying, and not being disrespectful at all, just using the illustration, he says, if you're going to be drunk, then be drunk with the Spirit. Don't you love that? Don't fill yourself with these artificial uh, stimulants. Be stimulated by God. I just, wow. So I asked the question, what is it then that would be excess of the Spirit? And he tells us. Go ahead and read that. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Have you ever seen that before? You want to be filled with the Spirit? You want to be excessive, quote-unquote, drunk? with the Spirit of God, then get busy in your song service, committing yourself to it. And when you're singing, does he mention anything about a performance? Like we got to get the right notes and the right rhythm and all. What does he emphasize here? In fact, when he, talk, he talks about speaking to one another, right? I mean, that, wow, that brings it down. He's talking about singing, but he doesn't say in four-part harmony. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you're making melody where? In your harp. Yeah, right. What kind of harp do we use? Like a guitar harp or a hundred-string harp? Or... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I hear that wrong? Harp. He doesn't say a stringed harp. instrument. He says the heart. The heart. Someone says, well, he uses the word solo there. And in the Old Testament, solo always indicated the strumming of an instrument. And that had to do with a harp or a guitar or something like it. And so that must be the New Testament application. Actually, the word solo that talks about the, me the mechanics of the singing or the music making here actually requires specificity, just like the day that we talked about a moment ago. We needed to be specific about what day. Well, when you use solo, you have to be specific about what instrument you are using. So if I say we're going to go solo or pluck the strings, 
Well, the next question would be, well, what are we going to pluck? What are we going to do? Okay, I ask you, is there anything in this text that tells you what it is you're supposed to pluck? Your heart. Your heart. You say, now, wait a minute. Making melody in your heart to the Lord, that doesn't sound like a band with accompanying drums and tambourines and stuff. No, it doesn't. What that sounds like is us with the right heart doing what? Singing. Now, he says you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What is a psalm? You can't miss this if you'll just say psalm. <laughs> you know, like the psalms, there are five books of psalms. You say, wait a minute, my Bible only has one. Well, if you'll read through your psalms, you'll find out there are actually five books of the psalms. The psalms are actually made up of five books of psalms. And those were actually the psalm book of, guess who? Israel. The psalm book of Israel. Okay? So when they got together and they sang, guess what they did? They didn't pull out one of these. <laughs> they pulled out that section of the Bible that you have in your Bible, the psalms. That was the psalm book of Israel. So you can sing those, but he doesn't limit it, limit it to that. He says psalms and hymns. What is a hymn? H-Y-M-N. A hymn is like an anthem that glorifies God. A song whose purpose is to praise or glorify God is a hymn. Now that takes us to uh, Matthew 26 and verse 30. What is it that they did after the big deal with the Lord's Supper and so forth? Okay. You missed one. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Oh, they sung a hymn. Okay, now I ask you, what were they doing singing a hymn? They're praising God. I know that because they were singing a hymn. And hymns do what? Exalt and glorify God. Easy peasy, right? Easy peasy. Psalms, hymns, what's a spiritual song? You will not be wrong if you say, well, it's a spiritual song. <laughs> okay. You know, there are a lot of songs in your songbook that you can't classify as being one of the Psalms. And you can't say, well, this song is all about the praise and hallelujah of God. Maybe it's singing about walking in sunlight all of my journey. Or maybe it's talking about any number of other subjects that are biblical subjects, but don't actually just spend the whole time glorifying and praising God. Those are spiritual songs. They are songs whose content is what? Spiritual. Well, it's 8 o'clock, so we're going to have to stop right here and pick up next week. Thank you so much for being here and participating in this examination of Scripture. Let's have a short prayer real quick and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the blessing of this time that we can study your word. Thank you for just the, the easy way that you teach us and help us to apply these things. Help us to see how distinctive these teachings are and to hold on to it because it's what you've given us. Lord, help us to understand it, put it together to see the simplicity of your way. 
Please bless us, Lord, as we're going home. The streets are still wet. Keep us safe. And we pray that you'll bring us back at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen.